The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, music of Kate Bush. I'm Cecily Link, and this week we are kicking off the Lionheart season with the first track from Lionheart called Symphony in Blue. song episode of the second season we actually have not one but several people that I will be talking with for this episode as we delve into the history and the lyrics and all the other things related to this wonderful song Symphony in Blue. The main guest I'm going to be talking with is Daniel Thomas who is also going to be on the Coffee Homeground episode that will be coming up later this season. We are also going to get to hear from Bishak Som, who is a Kate fan from Brooklyn, New York, who has some really cool insights into this song and his own personal history with it. And that's going to be the last thing that we get to hear in this episode. And then before we start the live portion of the episode, we're going to get to hear from a longtime Kate fan named Danny McAvoy, who was there on the opening night at the Liverpool Empire in 1979 to hear this song and, of course, the rest of the Tour of Life show in person. So we'll get to talk with him. But first, we're going to talk with our main guest. His name is Daniel Thomas. I met him on the internet. He is a huge Kate Bush fan. He's also a big Tori Amos fan. So when we're not talking about Kate, we're also getting to uh, nerd a little bit about Tori Amos. But for this episode, we're going to be talking with him about Symphony in Blue, which is one of his top 10 favorite Kate songs. So without further ado, here's our first guest. And with me to talk about the song this week, go ahead and introduce yourself. Um, this is Daniel Thomas. I've been a Kate Bush fan since 1992, and I'm calling from Seattle, Washington. Where it is very cold, and meanwhile, I'm in Virginia, and it is 75 degrees, because this is Virginia, <laughs> and Virginia is all sorts of, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, here it's about 36, so I wish we could have like a like share kind of combine the temperatures and give ourselves an average. I think that would help us both out. That would be good. Indeed. It's starting to get a little hot up in here. (sighs) Anyway. So (laughs) we're going to be talking about symphony and blue. So this is the first track on Lionheart. And I know this is one of your favorites. You'd mentioned in a email to me, this was one of your favorites. So why is this one of your favorite Kate songs? I would say it's, 
if I had to put together a top 10 list, I would say this would definitely be on that top 10 list of Kate songs. Um, I discovered Kate through the Dreaming album, and uh, Lionheart was the second album that I got a hold of. And this being the first song, this is the first thing I heard. And it was quite different to hear Symphony in Blue as compared to anything on The Dreaming. And that's really what struck me immediately from hearing the song the first time is that Kate Bush must be a really talented person to be able to do something as well as The Dreaming and then take a very beautiful and sparse and atmospheric song and do just as good of a job on it. So that was the first thing that, that really got me. And then just listening to the song, um, I really love the melody. I really mm-hmm. love um, the changes in the music. They're really mm-hmm. unexpected. Um, even though um, the song has a lot of changes, it, it still kind of has this, the same vibe of, maybe reaching peace. I don't know if she starts the song feeling peaceful, but certainly at the end, she reaches a point where she is very peaceful and okay with the story that she's telling that she's kind of let herself off the hook. Um, and symphony in blue, that just, that Kate is such a visual artist and just saying symphony in blue, that just seems like the color of music, like something so abstract, that something so understandable. And mm-hmm. so it says a lot about of what you're getting into about, you know, having these, these, um, each song is a story. And, um, here in this song, she's talking about color and like mentioning mm-hmm. red and blue and the differences of, you know, emotional states and everything. Um, and her voice is beautiful. Her, mm-hmm. She still has that really youthful high, um, kind of soars the height of heights with her, her voice really beautiful um, melody to the song. I just really, really, every time I hear the song, it's just as wonderful as the last time. This was my one of my first exposures to Lionheart, obviously, because it's the first song on the album. And when I bought this album in France, I put it on and I'm, I immediately noticed like the it sounds very lush. And it's also got some like speaking of like key changes and everything. She's using a lot of seventh chords, which are typically used in jazz music. So it has this kind of like. Uh, like jazzy chill sort of vibe to it because she's using a lot of seventh chords and that basically means that instead of just doing one three five for like you got your tonic like it's say c major c e g instead you're playing b e g because b is the seventh note of the c major scale and so when you play mm-hmm. that it it sounds not really dissonant but it almost sounds like oh, this is a little unexpected. And she uses a lot of seventh chords throughout her songs, but especially in this one. So it's got like this this neat jazzy sort of feel to it. It's like, oh, this is really cool. And that's what immediately struck me about this song. And that it feels very lush. And, and the drums are not very, and the drums are not imposing at all. You got the pretty piano and then her voice. Like, I love what she does with her voice in this song. I'm with you. I love how her voice sounds. It's just so beautiful. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's certainly one. This is one um, song. If someone asked me an example of something um, like slower tempo Mm -hmm. and with her on the piano, I really love how it features her on the piano also Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, this was, part of her first two albums made in the same year. Um, You know, there's a lot of similarities between the two. I think you can hear 
um, I think you can hear in, in both albums, you can hear that little bit of influence of people telling her, um, maybe, maybe you should include this. Maybe it should be this way because I think the first two albums include, um, where there's a, you can still hear a bit of the influence of its time. Mm -hmm. I think later it sounds when she starts using the fair light and everything, I, it, she kind of erases time and makes her music timeless because you can't place it with anything. Mm -hmm. um, here are some of the instruments and the way things are arranged. You can hear that it was probably the end of the 70s mm -hmm, and that definitely. she probably liked 70s rock. And that's why um, also with um, Symphony in Blue, it does sound very lush and it sounds full, but there's not much instrumenta instrumentation on it. There really so isn't. It had, no. no, so you had to go to the explanation you gave about the technical side of music, of why it sounds so lush without having so many instruments on it. Mm -hmm. So it's just another thing of how complex music can be and when you really understand what you're doing, like this is what you arrive at. And it's wonderful that it's jazz mm -hmm. because looking at her, you know, having mind training and like um, dance training and everything and you know, doing things from the piano of a kind of more of a pop or a singer songwriter vein, you don't immediately think that she would be influenced by jazz. You know, just on the first listen, I mean, you don't immediately think like, oh, she was listening to jazz. Mm -hmm. She's a jazz fan because you can hear of how she, you know, arranged them. You don't think that it sounds very, you know, singer songwriter type of uh, lyrics and music. But I think part of why, like this, you were kind of saying that this kind of. Uh -huh. Uh, sounds a little bit like some of the stuff from the kick inside is that she uh, was she couldn't use her own band uh, it was my understanding that uh, that Kate wanted to use um, the guys from the KT Bush band um, for her for her album but her producer Andrew Powell said no those guys don't have enough experience we need to work with the guys that I'm used to working with so the guys that played on this album were a lot of the same personnel from her first album, like uh, Stuart Elliott on the drums, David Patton on the bass, Ian Berenson on the electric guitars. So, and those were a couple of the guys that played with uh, with Kate on the the uh, her on the kick inside. And interestingly enough, played on the soundtrack to the 1985 movie Lady Hawk, which I saw a couple of weeks ago. And in the credits at the very end, I noticed like music arranged by Andrew Powell. And I thought, why have I recognized that name? And then I saw like the <laughs> guitar drum and went, Oh my God, those were the guys that played with, with Kate on the kick inside and Lionheart. Hey, so cool little connection there. <laughs> I'll have to listen to that soundtrack to see if I can hear anything that would be, like it's, it identify it's like oh yeah I hear that in that music. It's very eighties. <laughs> I actually want to rewatch <sighs> them. I wasn't per terribly paying much attention to the movie, but what I did catch, I went, oh this is kind of sweet. I really should be paying more attention to this, but I'm kind of like drowning my other thing here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she played with the same people as um, the first album. So, but yeah, th this one like. I kind of get this. I kind of wonder if she was inspired by Gershwin. Because the. Well, looking ahead, yes, I can see that because looking ahead, she covered much later. Um, she covered a Gershwin mm. song. The Man I Love. The Man I Love. That's what it is. Yeah, so that's not too far off of a guess. But the, the chord progression is distinctly from um, a work called uh, I hope I'm pronouncing it right I'm just going to pronounce it the French way because I know the, the guy was French uh, Gymnopédie looks like Gymnopédie Pédies or something like that um, <laughs> Yeah, it was by Eric Satie and he wrote these uh, this work that, that used a lot of seventh chords and basically helped to um, helped to build the foundation of what later became jazz music Eric Satie was born Eric Alfred Leslie Satie on May 17, 1866, and he lived to the age of 59 
and died on July 1st, 1925. He is best known for a set of three piano compositions called the Gymnopédie, the first of which was used as the lead-in music for Symphony in Blue on Kate Bush's Tour of Life and on the Christmas special. So if you've got that kind of slow, melancholy piano piece right before Symphony in Blue on those two appearances, that is the Gymnopédie number one by Eric Satie. Eric Satie, uh, as you can tell from the name and everything, he was French, and he started calling himself a gymnopedist when he uh, was at the point of his life where he really didn't have any kind of artistic reputation. Um, <laughs> he arranged for his arrival at the Chat Noir Cabaret in the Montmartre section of Paris as Eric Satie, gymnopedist, and Rodolphe Sally who is the uh, formidable proprietor of the cabaret, uh, was said to have been kind of taken aback by this introduction and responding that, quote, that's quite an occupation. (laughs) Um, What he probably was referring to were the gymnopedia, which were dances performed at festivals in ancient Greece by... um, naked young men um because gymnos meaning naked plus pace meaning youth and that's also by the way gymnos that's where we get the word gymnasium in the english language eric city picked this word just so he could impress everybody and well it definitely impressed people what exactly he meant by calling himself a gymnopatist we don't really know um but Suffice it to say, he thought this was a cool enough word <laughs> that he used it to as the title for three beautiful piano compositions. The first of which inspired our wonderful Kate Bush for this song, Symphony in Blue. So without further ado here, here's a little clip of the first movement of the Gymnopédie by Eric Satie, which again was used as the lead-in for Symphony in Blue on the Tour of Life and on the Christmas special. You can take a listen here. she did this live on the tour of life the little piece that plays before the song when she's uh, transitioning from in search of peter pan to symphony in blue where it's kind of got these lo- these like dong, 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 dong. like that <laughs> is that's actually that eric Satie song like so she uses it as a lead-in to symphony in blue well, you know, her wandering around the stage doing her thing and then sitting down at the piano and starting her own song. So I think this is really interesting what she's kind of influenced by. I think it's um, I on the uh, documentary of Kate Bush that came out, I think, in 2014. Um, the BBC did one before mm-hmm. her tour when they were interviewing all the different musicians, which is fantastic. I'm sure it's online somewhere if people haven't seen it. But um, one of the things that uh, Tricky... Oh, uh, yeah. talked about with Kate Bush when he said you can't hear her influences and I never thought about it that way you can't point to I mean you really have to know about music like you obviously have a musical background and can talk about you know chord progression and things but just the average listener um, you can't hear her influences she doesn't she's not emulating Joni Mitchell she's not you know she talked a lot about um, really loving Brian Ferry but you don't hear her trying to do something of Roxy music. You don't hear her mm-hmm. listening to a Roxy music album and then going and making one. And like, I want to sound like that. Like she kind of absorbs it and puts her music out as being influenced by, but you would never know what influences her. And I think that's a great 
that's probably one of the best compliments on there is that she's able to absorb um, something that really influenced her and then say, well, I'm going to do, I, I get that information and now I'm going to write my own music and it's going to be in there somewhere. Like you can't see the eggs when, you know, you make a cake. Yeah. The eggs are in there, but you can't really <laughs> tell me where they are, but they're in there. Mm-hmm. And so that's just another, I mean, I'm really gushing over this song, but it's like I said, it's really like my top 10 of Kate. And I really, mm-hmm. really adore. I mean, if, if you put my own musical favorites um, across the board of any artist, this type of piano and vocal based with just a lush sound. I mean, that's, I'm mm-hmm. kind of all over that from anybody. So. Well, and I, I know, I definitely love this. I, this one is, I don't think it's in quite in my top 10, but it is at least in my top 20. Cause I, I've, I tend to kind of go for her, like the, the hounds of love kind of stuff, hounds of love dreaming and a little bit of sensual world sort of stuff. But I do, I do really love this song. I, I love what she does with her voice, especially at the end where she's doing the high stuff that I can't do because I'm a mezzo. I'm not a, soprano one but <laughs> i love what she does with her voice i love her uses of color in the lyrics too i the lyrics sometimes puzzled me but the like when when i dig into this for this episode I kind of think she's talking about her trying to figure out her own belief system in a way like she she's talking about it seems like she's pondering the nature of God and sex and maybe her own place in the world especially like I see myself suddenly on the piano as a melody my terrible fear of dying no longer plays with me for now I know I'm needed for the symphony like she's realizing oh wait this is my purpose so, I, but it's it, it's you know coming from somebody who at the time was not even you know, she, she was just gonna she was making this album when she turned twenty so and you're still thinking about that stuff when you're young like yeah what, and I I think it's an insight to you know I've always said about another Joni now that we talked about Joni Mitchell mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell always said I'm not doing my job if you can tell that I'm singing about myself I think maybe Blue would be. Mm-hmm. maybe an ex- exception but otherwise she always said I'm not doing my job as a songwriter if you can tell that I'm talking about myself and I think Kate shares that I I've always said that she has very few songs that directly come from her own point of view but I oh, think yeah. this is one of them and she really would re- I think it's a very revealing um, mm-hmm. as far as now talking about the lyrics I think it's a very revealing song where she's saying Look, I'm 20. No one knew me two years ago. They're talking about making me go on tour. They they said I needed another album. This is from that. I'm I'm looking at this machine and they're trying to put me in it. And I'm still figuring out who I am. Mm. You know, all of my friends, like, you know, if you put her in just like a human environment, you know, all of her friends might be, well, I'm going to university or I'm doing this. And like, well, I'm trying to get my music. I mean, you know, trying to get my music career together. Mm. That could be a very abstract thing compared to I'm going to law school mm-hmm. or, you know, her do- her father was a doctor. He obviously had a very, you know, cut out path that he was going to do to become a doctor. And so it sounds like she's saying, am I just really supposed to just be making music and studying dance and like writing music? Is this really what I'm supposed to do? And very hopefully and thankfully she comes to the conclusion, like I'm going to give myself permission to be an artist. I'm giving myself permission Mm. to be, um, to use music as an outlet where I can figure myself out because being in this world of, you know, being forced to do, you know, another album or maybe working with musicians that I'm not necessarily comfortable with. I know that I have to do that right now, but at least I have myself. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a really like hopeful, you know, really beautiful song. Like it's a really Mm -hmm. human um, song because she does have anxieties. She has fears. She has, you know, Oh my gosh, am I going to make it? Like, am I doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. Um, And it kind of sets the tone for, 
maybe what she went through. So it's, it's really biographical kind of, I think. Yeah, and there are a couple other songs on the, um, I'm going to get to later on this album where she seems to be expressing some of her anxieties, like a Full House, which is about like feeling like you're like losing your mind and you're feeling anxious, or even um, Coffee Home Ground, which you and I are going to get to talk about. We're going to get to talk about uh, Coffee Home Ground, where she's like, oh my God, I feel like there's all this stuff put on me and somebody is trying to kill me. Ah! <laughs> So. <laughs> yeah, that that is theater, and that will be fantastic to talk about. That is a wonderful Indeed. song. So yeah, this is I I love you know like I've said I I like her her use of uh, her use of colors. I'm a big lyric person. Like a lot of the artists I tend to listen to, like um, like you and I both like uh, we were talking before the podcast. Like you and I both like Tori Amos. Um, I also like uh, yeah. Charlotte Martin and I like a lot of French artists and in French music, like the lyrics are très important. They're very important. And sometimes those are more important than the, like the quality of the voice that's singing them. Like there tend to be a lot of rough kind of voices in French music. And so I tend to look, to look a lot at the lyrics and I know for, for Kate, when it comes to Kate though, I do have to look at the lyrics when I'm listening because sometimes I have trouble understanding what she's saying because she's got like multiple things going on and yeah I've, I've never tried to hear I think it intimidated me too much when I first started listening to it but I've never tried to hear if there's actual background lyrics or it's just her making uh harmonies mm-hmm. because it's difficult <laughs> the way that she sings the the lyrics and then the background that she's doing it kind of mixes at times where it's like was that words or was Kate just kind of filling in melodies yeah, especially later in the song when she gets to um, red in my eyes from emotional ties, manipulation, the danger signs. There's something descending in the background. And I was listening to it before we recorded. And I'm like, I'm trying to figure out what it is. I listened to that part like a dozen times trying to figure out what was being said. And I finally went, OK, you know what? We're just going to say she's making random noises that sound cool. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I kind of did. I, I thought, I know that there's lyrics in that in that particular verse. I know that there's lyrics there, but I just kind of like use the Kate hum that she <laughs> does, like the sounds that I make. And I kind of just go through that when I'm singing along to the song because I've never really had access to the lyrics, I guess. I guess they've never um, looked them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love her use of I love her use of color. You know, I spend a lot of my time looking at blue, the color of my room and my mood. Um, and then when she gets into red, like the color of my heart when she's dead, like that's associated with anger and and of course her talking about sex. The more I think about sex, the better it gets. Here we have a purpose in life. Doesn't surprise me given that from the kick inside, she had a lot of very sensual songs, very like about sex from a female perspective, which I, as a woman, definitely, definitely appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. Speak it. I like to hear that kind of stuff. More I think about sex, the better it gets. Here we have a purpose in life. Good for the blood circulation. Good for releasing the tension. When that feeling of meaninglessness sets in, go blowing my mind on God, the light in the dark with the neon arms. I always thought that was an interesting little line. When that feeling of meaninglessness sets in. I know that she paints and I've always wanted her to paint that 
I, I'm very interested in what I know what imagery it brings to me, but I would love to know if she painted that. What would what would that mm. look like? That's a wonderful thing because I know in later um, later in her career when she's given interviews, I don't remember if she alluded to this or she actually stated that she was atheist. It was it was something where she was talking about faith and you know religious ideas or something. But if whatever it's true that she, whatever her belief system is, it's funny that now at this moment, she's talking about an idea of a God. Mm-hmm. I always struck that, I, it, that always struck me like, is there, a, you know, was there a evolution of her ideas or her beliefs? Like that, that was always something, but um, yeah, I mean, that's, that goes to show like how deep she was thinking about what she's doing like it it drove her to like really be Mm -hmm. introspective and say like not only am I thinking about the world around me I'm thinking about the universe it it makes me think of how people view religion as kind of this oh yay oh yeah this is going to bring me joy and happiness and like coming to the light if you will and arms like, oh, yeah, you know, anybody, anybody can come to God, and it's all going to be great. And it's just an interesting way of putting it, it's just neon arms. I, I thought, I took, now that I'm thinking about it, I took it as that she's saying, these idea of God, like being a white light, or like, you know, however people describe God, mm-hmm. or whatever it is. She's like, well, my idea was that the color would be neon. So I don't know what you guys are talking about. Hmm. <laughs> like, this is like, this is my idea. Like I have a different idea. I'm questioning what was told to me. I'm questioning what other people believe or what I believe even. And I'm thinking maybe I have a different idea of how the universe works. Maybe this is the, the beginning of saying I will eventually become atheist because I considered my own universe and this is what's included in that. Mm-hmm. And so her idea of God is something different. Well, she did go to Catholic school, and I kind of get the impression that, yeah, she went. She went to the school, and because they had, a, they would give her a good education. But I don't think that necessarily she, given what she writes about, that she necessarily subscribes subscribes to a lot of those beliefs. I feel like um, she's maybe atheist or maybe just like oh i'm slightly spiritual but yeah i have a different idea of it than everybody else does yeah those are those are wonderful lyrics to talk that if you ever feel like you need some direction i think these are one this is a wonderful song to listen to to put you back on track and and, and on an album where she's mostly talking about other people or telling stories and having like mini movies, it's neat to have a song that's a little bit more personal where it's like, Oh, I'm expressing the kind of my ideas of the universe amidst all the chaos of fame and things like that. Yeah. I think this is, um, this is kind of, uh, a good place to note that, um, as I've always talked about, you know, I don't think you can overstate um, the importance of what the Fairlight would do for mm-hmm. her. And this is pre-Fairlight. So I don't know what the musical evolution would have been had she not discovered the Fairlight. Um, but with this song and these songs on the album, it's, it's very... Um, I just say it's very personal. It's very direct in that it's kind of just, it's very sparse. Like this is what you're getting. Well, this is organic. This is very, a very organic. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Very much. Your, your instrumental credits, you got drums and percussion, bass, guitar, electric guitar, piano, and then Fender Rhodes, so you get an, uh, an electric piano, which, by the way, electric piano is not used uh, terribly much in music anymore. I love the sound. I miss it so oh, much. Oh, my gosh. You can hear, especially in this song, the yes. parts that you can hear, the electric piano, are amazing. 
they add such texture to the song and it's just perfect how she whoever arranged it it's perfect how they did it because it kind of it's hiding and then it jumps out right before she goes to the chorus Mm -hmm. and it's just beautiful it's just a wonderful wonderful sound and i and maybe that's what i was referring to earlier about um you know that sounds like a late 70s rock song Mm -hmm. because that certainly happened a lot with the fender rose oh yeah Uh, it's a shame it's not around anymore um you don't really hear that now Mm -hmm. but with with lionheart it's a it was a it seems like a more traditional process Mm-hmm. that she would get to after, um, after discovering the fair light because when she discovered the fair light for a long time, everything kind of filtered through the fair light and the fair light was the, the focus of the music a lot of times, yep. which I'm not complaining about because I mean, she, you know, she did never forever the dreaming and Hounds of love, which are three of the strongest albums of anyone's career. I mean, especially the dreaming, I'll always have a special, it was my first Kate Bush album. It's also remained my favorite since 92. So mm-hmm. um, it's a wonderful thing. But um, here it's very um, traditional and, and basic in a, in a very good way. Yeah. And it's very warm. Even if she's talking about fear, it's very comforting and warm. Um, she knows how to balance that. If you're having lyrics that are talking about a fear of dying or being angry, you have to balance it with, you know, kind of soothing music, which which she does really well. Mm-hmm. So this is the point of the episode where we usually start talking about live appearances that Kate has made performing this song. And to start this section, I'm going to play for you guys some thoughts and memories from a Kate Bush fan named Danny McAvoy, who not only loves this song, but also, more importantly, he got to hear this song live in 1979 and the Liverpool Empire in April of that year. I was super excited to get to talk with him. You might remember I played some of his Kate Bush covers during the Kick Inside episodes. So here we go. Here's Danny McAvoy. Let's see if I can put this. Right, rock and roll. Yes, indeed, rock and roll. Like you yeah, like so I've got, the, I've got the original program here. So, you know, from way back, I went on the very first day. On the very first, you know, the very first day of the tour. Mm-hmm. We queued, we went to the Liverpool Empire. So you're originally from Liverpool? Yeah, I'm from Liverpool, yeah, yeah, I am from Liverpool, yeah, yeah. So and and, and when we went there, there was look, what have I got here? There was these things on the seats. Mm-hmm. They had this on the seat, you know. Oh wow. You know, you can read it. Oh, there we go. This, look, see, I picked up a few of them, yeah, I picked up a few of them, look. Welcome to the Kate that Bush concert. The yeah. Look, there's a thing saying, Dear Kate. He says, write things on the back. These were all on every seat. <laughs> right, so me that was the same thing throughout the entire tour, you know. So what does it say on that? What did they leave on the seats there? there? Oh, wow. Us, you know. Yeah, that was from... And then, well, look, there was like flyers as well. I picked up a load of flyers, loads of them. <laughs> <laughs> it was in them days, you know. I mean, that was you're talking about. Uh, well, yeah, it was April the third, nineteen seventy nine. You know, so it came as like there's there's the there's the program. Wow. It's. Uh, I wonder if I had the tickets. I must have the tickets somewhere. See, normally, and then it comes with a, like a booklet. You know, mm-hmm. there's the booklet. Ah, oh, there's one yeah. of the pictures. Yeah, one of the iconic pictures. The iconic pictures, yeah. There oh, I've always loved that picture of her because she looks like an old movie star or something. She's kind of like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Bush, looking glamorous. There's another one. Oh, There's I love the next the page. Yeah. So look, they're in different acts. I'd forgotten about that. There was Act One, Act Two, and Act Three. Mm-hmm. So and there's the rest. Yeah, they had like magicians and stuff on stage and that where they're like, you know, you know, and there's the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, the, the 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 programs then were like expensive, you know, for what they were. But you had to get them, you know. Mm-hmm. You had to get it. 
apparently it's quite a it, it's quite a scarce item you know this this program there wasn't many of them around you know you know it was quite a rarity you know you, you don't see it around very often you know and it came in this like plastics bag you know that was what it came in you know yeah yeah Rock and roll. What, what else do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, your kind of your go-to song is Symphony in Blue. So why is that your kind of favorite, favorite Kate Bush song then? Because when I messaged you, you had said that Symphony in Blue was your favorite. I guess so, yeah. I mean, when she did that, I've always liked that song. I like Lionheart, actually. As the, I think mm-hmm. that's the, I think that's her a, a best piece. I think that's her best album, really. I like the kick inside. I kind of, I quite like Never Forever as well. I went off Kate Bush when she did The Dreaming. That was my last, that was me finished with, with mm. you know what I mean? You know, I'm a kind of like, I'm, I'm not crazy about the later material, you know. You know, I've got mates that are, but say, I'm not crazy. I, I like the early stuff. And I always thought Lionheart was the, was the best LP, you know. Yeah. And Symphony and Blue off that LP, you know. Mm. was my favourite. She did it with, uh, I remember when she did it on stage, on that tour, she did it, the piano, the grand piano was like lifted up and she had like kind of a, like kind of a, a you know, a music notes and whatever and uh, going in blue, you know, like kind of, you know, kind of filmed against the kind of piano type thing. You know? Like projections, probably. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 like a projection, you know. Yeah, so I've always been a bit of a Kate Bush fan, hence me doing loads of the songs, you know, I, I mean, that's, I mean, I don't, I mean, as you know, I do missions, my missions are to like kind of cover every song ever, you know what I mean, I like to, I like to do, like I did every Beatles song in 2010, and then, and then like, you know, uh, all the num- UK number ones, twos and threes in 2011, and so it's going like that, I have these little missions to do, you know, to cover them all, and um so I haven't got a Kate Bush list mainly because, like, you know, normally I do them all, you know, do the mm-hmm. entire lot, you know. But um, but you know, I'm not say I'm not crazy about the later stuff. So, you know, I mean, like, you know, so so it's not like I don't really kind of see it as a big mission, really. But I like doing the earlier stuff, though, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's why I've been doing them, you know, you know, them heavy people and you know James and the Cold Gun stuff, you know. Um, it's also it's also sad that we don't have um, varied performances. I mean, in general, of Kate's music. Mm-hmm. I wish, we, you know, what does it look like, um, you know, live in 1979 as opposed to like 1990 mm-hmm. or today? How would she perform? Uh, her voice doesn't sound like this anymore. So how would she sound singing Symphony in Blue? What would she do to the music to accommodate that? Yeah. I think I mean, she would have to do a, quite a bit of transposing, I think, to be able to to sing this song in her current voice. But I'm I'm with you. Um, you know, she she's only ever done the 1979 tour and then the Before the Dawn shows, so there really isn't an opportunity to see her live. And you can forget about her just randomly popping up on some chat show to sing her latest single or something like she doesn't do that kind of thing at all. No, it's a big loss. It really is. I mean, in the beginning of her career, I think she was made to do that. And so there are certainly during this era, there, you know, might be some performances. I think Koshka from Baghdad, she did on a TV show. Yep, Ask Aspel. She has a Christmas special. Um, I'm sure many Wuthering Heights TV appearances. Oh, yeah. It was fun tracking down. So many. All so. those appearances. Like, okay, there's this show. And burr, 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 burr. <laughs> yeah, she did a lot in her early career with going on random shows to perform her songs. And then it just kind of seemed to drop off really after the late 80s. Really after Hounds of Love. She just kind of went, okay, I'm don't really going to do the whole go on random TV shows and sing kind of thing. She didn't do as many of those. Yeah, yeah we got about 10, 10 years, I think, and then she was done. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't have to. I'm not going to. Yeah. So, so speaking of, like, the live stuff, so she's performed this, her... 1979 tour of which the footage is not officially released but it can be found on youtube and it's awesome to watch (laughs) um she um performed it for her christmas special which um i know before the podcast you'd say you wanted to talk about that one um quite a bit um as far as like her her tour performance it was she did it later on looked like it was it was done later on in the show it was right after In Search of Peter Pan, which I thought was interesting having those two next to each other because they're both about growing up and figuring out how difficult life can be and that she's got those two songs right up against each other and in reverse order from the album because it goes Symphony in Blue and In Search of Peter Pan on the album, but then live it was In Search mm-hmm. of Peter Pan going into in Symphony, going into Symphony in Blue. And... I like seeing her performing that song. I, I think it's funny that as she's going over to the piano and they're they're getting the stage set up and she's got her dancers coming around that uh, somebody hands her a mug. It's probably tea. And it's just funny, like somebody handing her a mug. <laughs> like, oh, yep, that's probably tea. Of course, she's British. She's got to have her tea. Just like I do. I'm drinking my tea while we're chatting here. But that one's like a sweet, simple performance. She's she's sitting at the piano and she's got like glitter on her cheeks. And as usual, she's like really expressive with her face. And that's one of the things I really wish that I think I miss most about her not doing a lot of live performances is getting to see her just like how expressive her face is and just like really acting out the song. And she's like really into it. And I love seeing that. Like I'm like she's putting her heart and her soul into this. And it's just beautiful to see. Yeah, I think those those are wonderful performances, and it's a shame shame on whoever didn't include the whole set list mm-hmm. from one of the two tours that we get from her since 1978. So let's just say that first. Yeah, um, it's it's not as though the performances that were not included on the Hammersmith Odeon videotape or or whatever it was. It's not that they were lacking in quality because. It's a wonderful performance that they could have mm-hmm. included. I really enjoy it, and I really enjoy um, also the uh, Christmas special mm-hmm. performance of Symphony in Blue. Uh, what I really love about it 
is that because she was probably working with the KT Bush fan, I believe, I can't really see them, their faces, but I'm sure that she had uh, her own band performing on it. Um, yep, she did. The way that they arranged it and the way that everyone kind of, kind of knows her and knows where to go with it. Uh, it's a beautiful, I love seeing her performance. Like you said, the, the face and the expressions and knowing exactly what to express where in relationship to the song and being able to see her just, you know, she's such a dancer and she loves to perform in that way uh, at, at this time. And so it was unusual to just see her seated at the piano very calmly and performing a song um, without dancing. Mm-hmm. It's all in her face. It's all in her expression. It's all in her delivery. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. The only thing, the only um, thing I missed about it is that it seems in the production of the Christmas special, it seems like her own piano playing is um, kind of under everything else. Mm-hmm. You don't, I didn't really hear her piano so much which is one of the things that I love so much about the studio version is that you can hear her piano mm-hmm. and everything else is kind of under that. But I think in the, in the Christmas special, it's kind of reversed and you hear the piano under everything else, which I miss a little bit, but it's, it's still a wonderful performance. Mm-hmm. One wonderful performance. We were talking about the um, her performances as far as uh, being theater-like. Mm-hmm. And I think that could have, the Christmas special, I know she did a lot of that, you know, in the first tour where she was saying, you know, she wanted it to be like a presentation, like a theater presentation. But if she could have done more tours that would have evolved from that theater type of delivery, I just can't imagine where she would have gone with it because that was really a preview of like I could really take these songs on stage and make a theater performance out of everything I mean when you look at that set list you know she did violin mm-hmm. um, Egypt Rantan Waltz which is like this curveball like okay do Rantan Waltz we'll probably never see it again so I'm glad you did at least one you know and everything is different costumes um, different choreography it's just it's a great way to see what Kate Bush delivers live. Um, unfortunately, we are limited in what we have, but yeah, um, I recommend to anybody that wants to see what Kate Bush can do to, to see the Christmas special. It's really wonderful. Oh, I remembered something I wanted to say about um, the order of songs. Mm-hmm. So in the tour of, of life, uh, in the set list, she did the reverse, the In Search of Peter Pan, then Symphony in Blue. And I think maybe she arrived at something where she's saying, this is the former. I wanted to stay a child. I wanted to be sheltered. So I'll, I'll do In Search of Peter Pan because I certainly felt that way. But because it's a tour of life and things evolve and things change, where I've arrived is Symphony in Blue. So I think it makes more sense to have the songs reversed when it's live. That is very true. I hadn't even thought about that. And she's, I mean, she seems, one of the things about watching the tour of life footage or any of the live footage, she seems so confident in what she's doing. I mean, if she were really nervous or, you know, really um, just not, you know, maybe stage fright or anything, she certainly didn't show it. Mm-hmm. And she, she does. She's a, she's a pro up there. You can't see any of the scenes. She she does her performance. She gives it her all. She really performs from her heart. Like it's it's a wonderful thing. And 
So hopefully by that point, she really um, sorted herself out and said, no, I'm, I'm on this route and this is me. She really owns it. Mm-hmm. And so that's a nice thing to see that she, she flipped it. I don't know. I read into everything <laughs> with music. I think when an artist is this expressive, I think that all of the things are on the page. You know, it's in between the lyrics or like, see, get it? I switched the order of the song. This is what I'm trying to say. I always look for things like that. So I'm prob- mm-hmm. I might be overthinking it, but that's my take on it of why she would have switched the songs. No, but I think you're right. And certainly, I, I actually become very like obsessive <laughs> when I'm looking at stuff too. Like, oh, but what about this? Da, da, da. Well, maybe she did this because of blah, blah, blah. But no, I'm actually totally with you. I figured, I figured that there, was, there had to be a connection. Like why she would have these two songs against each other. And even more so that the song that comes after this is Feel It, which is all about uh which is all about sex. And what mm-hmm. is one of the things she talks about in this song? She talks about sex. The more I think about right. the sex, the better it gets. Here we have a purpose in life. And then that leads into a song where she's like where she's talking about a beautifully romantic encounter. Totally makes sense. Yeah, that's you pointed out earlier that the uh, that she was owning her own sexuality, mm-hmm. and that's really. I don't know. I'm. I don't know how much it happens now. It certainly needs to all the time. But she's really stating enjoying or discovering her sexuality on her own terms, and it's not something where she's saying all these things are against me. And, you know, talking about the environment, she's saying, no, what I'm concentrating on is my own experience. And this is mine. And it's not going to be influenced by anyone else. This is for me. And I'll decide what I do with my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And, and she's not doing it in a preachy way. She's doing it in a very beautiful and heartfelt, artistic way that is, you know, it's different. It's a different thing than carrying a banner. It's a different thing than saying I'm my own person and this is what I'm going to do. She's just kind of stating like, this is what I'm experiencing. Well, as usual, it was great to talk to you and thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. Yay. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. It's always good to to uh, talk about Kate with someone who loves her just as much as I do. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And you're going to be back for the Coffee Homegrown episode. So, yay! We'll yes. get to talk again about... Yes. We'll get to nerd about Kate Bush some more. It'll be awesome. We're going to talk about serial killers and people hidden in walls. I know. And bodies, stuffed bodies and <laughs> all sorts of dark stuff. But it all sounds so humorous. So it sounds cool. <laughs> So the last fan of Symphony in Blue that we're going to get to hear from on this episode is a fan named Bishak Som. Bishak Som is somebody I met on Facebook. I reached out to people on various Kate Bush Facebook groups going, hey, who would like to talk about their favorite songs from Lionheart? And I got to hear from Bishak Som. He's a longtime Kate fan from Brooklyn, New York. And he has some really, really cool lyrical insights and history with this song that I think you all will really enjoy hearing. So here is what Bishok Som has to say about Symphony in Blue. Let's take a listen. Hi, my name's Bishok Som. I'll just be talking a little bit about Symphony in Blue, one of my favorite songs by Kate Bush on one of my favorite albums by Kate Bush, Lionheart. I um, started listening to Kate Bush early on in life. Um, She was very special to me. And so it was really special also to meet my partner, uh, my now partner, um, in college. Um, We met early on and I um, gravitated towards her not only because she was lovely, but also because we shared a lot of musical interests, including, most importantly, probably Kate Bush. Um, And we'd listen to Kate albums in her room, um, drinking wine, the curtains drawn, incense burning. 
Um, and somehow Lionheart became one of the albums that we played most often, and it meant a lot to me and still does um, because of that. Um, as an album, Lionheart, I think, diverted Kate's course a bit from her first album, The Kick Inside, which had, um, I think, a mixture of very sweet um, moments, very with um, sweet moments that mixed in with very sensual piano-driven moments, mixed in with very kooky uh, kind of out there moments. I think Lionheart is a little more grounded, um, a little more uh, kind of inward looking, I think. Um, and I think I was reading about Lionheart um, in the press, and I think a lot of people thought it was somewhat middle of the road, which is a funny way to characterize it, because um, you might be able to say that uh, about a lot of the music. You look at Symphony in Blue, which is the first song on Lionheart, um, and musically, the guitars, drums, and the keyboards do somehow create this warm um, feeling that is for lack of a better term, somewhat soft rocky. Um, but I think that's as a starting point gets you somewhere really different and special and uniquely Kate. Um, I think the, the music of Symphony in Blue, like I was saying, is sort of comforting and uh, warm. Uh, and then the lyrics start in and um, like with a lot of Kate lyrics, I think they're still a little indecipherable to me. Um, on first glance, it seems to be about um, color, right? About how colors make you feel. Um, you know, this first line is, I spend a lot of my time looking at blue, right? And then the second verse is, I associate love with red. So the song is sort of divided up into two parts based on colors and how they make you feel, right? Um, and that's maybe the starting point of the song for me, but then it sort of veers off uh, into impressionistic stuff. Well, at least for me it is, but maybe not impressionistic, but um, associative stuff, right? So it's not just about how colors make you feel, but like with a lot of great Kate songs, there's a mixture of sensuality and spirituality, right? So there's the lyrics about, about God, about... Um, if not God, then, you know, the, the sort of di the divine essence uh, that that Kate believes in or that you believe in, um, the head of the good soul department, as she puts it. And that's somehow folded in with how she associates her feelings about color, right? Um, there's that amazing line um, in the first verse, I think, um, blue on the walls, blue out of my mouth, the sort of blue that between clouds when the sun comes out. Um, and, and, you know, and that, that part of the first half of the song, I think, is, is sort of lulling you in. <clears throat> My favorite part of the song is um, when it sort of veers off into this other direction briefly, um, in which she says, you know, she starts talking about um, red and how that makes her feel, you know, this sort of like heated nature of sensuality, of sexuality and love. Um, and then, for some reason, it goes off into this somewhat um, yogic uh, language, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, I think it's yogic. It also sounds like directions on a bottle of Ayurvedic medicine, almost. It's, um, it's uh, you know, when she's talking about, about Raj, she says, um, the more I think, think about sex, the better it gets. So, um, good for the blood circulation, good for releasing the tension, the, the root of our reincarnation. And the, that first bit about um, sex being good for the blood circulation just totally throws me off every time. And I think it's just really dotty and amazing that that's part of that song. It just comes out of nowhere. And I, and I think it's just amazing. And I uniquely Kate, um, the kind of, you know, kookiness 
mixed in with sensuality, mixed in with um, a, a general warmth. And, and I don't think there's anyone else that could have pulled those lyrics off. Um, I just love it. Um, <clears throat> I don't know. The song being the opening song on Lionheart, like I said, means a lot to me because it's the first song you hear and it, and it has a sort of iconic quality that um, because it's the first song, it, it imprints itself on you. And it has done for so long. You hear the opening um, bars and you know um, you're going to sit down with Lionheart for a while. Um, and it has feelings of um, of comfort for me, um, despite the kind of eccentric qualities of it. Uh, and I find it, you know, it, it's like a warm blanket, which is slightly rough um, owing to age, but it's still your favorite blanket, right? I, you know, I think of that as a really, really sweet flower of a song, um, but with prickly thorns, sometimes that'll give you a slight, you know, prick and make you bleed. <laughs> um, I love, I love Symphony in Blue so much and I love Lionheart so much. Um, that's, uh, those are my, that's my two cents on it. Um, hope that made some kind of sense. Over and out from Brooklyn, New York. If you have a favorite Kate Bush song or even a couple of songs that you would love to chat with me about on a future episode, please feel free to either email me kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can also find me on Twitter at StrangeKateCast and on Facebook. You can also like my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Kate Bush Podcast. I would love to hear from you. Also, you feel free to email me or message me if there's something we didn't get to for this week's song, something we forgot. Either way, I want to make sure I hear from everybody. Thank you so much. And we'll see everybody next week for In Search of Peter Pan. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.